You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Jesus, we're grateful again for this time, grateful for uh, your filling of the Holy Spirit. We ask God that you would fill this room today, and would you fill our hearts, and would you lead and guide our discussion, that it would please you today, and that we would honor you in all that we do. And again, we just give you thanks uh, for who you are and how you continue to work in our lives. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, so the last couple of weeks, if you were with us or if you've been listening online, you can see that uh, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. So Rebecca's going to be the first one. That, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> um, the, the Holy Spirit, uh, we talked about in the first one, just kind of looking at the background of the Holy Spirit. Where, how do we see the Holy Spirit moving in Old Testament and New Testament? Last week, we kind of honed in a bit more on Pentecost and the filling of the Holy Spirit in our own lives and what that looks like, uh, talking about particularly the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, And I encouraged you, if you were with us or again, if you listened, to go and kind of, if you've never done any kind of spiritual gifts testing, I think it's important to know what your spiritual gifts are. I think everybody has a spiritual gift. I think the Holy Spirit fills us all in different ways and gives us each a gift. Come on in. Fills, fills us in different ways, shows us our gifts in different ways, but each one of those gifts are meant to be used as the body. And so uh, Paul was very careful in saying, particularly in the, in the love chapter, he addresses this. We often use it. It's interesting. We use that chapter in weddings oftentimes, but really Paul's talking about it, what it looks like to, to, uh, to not elevate a gift above another. And that love really is, so you saw in the Corinthian church, they weren't loving each other because it was based on, well, your gift is better than my gift, and therefore you are greater and better than me. And so he, he's addressing that issue of these spiritual gifts. He actually says, you know, speaking in tongues and you don't have love means nothing. It's just a resounding gong. And so uh, he, he emphasizes that, that there are gifts of prophecy and gifts of uh, speaking in tongues, gifts of... Uh, all kinds of things that you see throughout Scripture where the, where the Holy Spirit gives gifts. Somebody asked me a great question at the end last week, which I feel like is probably maybe something you've heard or been asked, so I'll just kind of address it. Um, they, there's an idea in uh, some, spir- or, uh, some uh, denominational realms, uh, not so much in the Episcopal Church, but in some other denominational realms where, uh, where there's a term called cessationist. In other words, we, there, there's a belief that the, the gifts stopped once, uh, once the, 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 the first century disciples kind of moved, passed on, died uh, for the faith, that the gifts at some point stopped being poured out. And so um, I don't think that's the case. I, I really don't think that Scripture tells us that. Now, I do think there's obviously some of those have shifted over time. Uh, for instance, the gift of prophecy you're not going to be uh, Isaiah, likely, uh, or Joel. Uh, but there are those things where I do believe the Lord gives us things and shows us things, reveals us the, those things that people do have the gift of prophecy today that doesn't look like the Old Testament prophets, but it does look, uh, it's very much of the Spirit leading and guiding and uh, directing. And we talked a little bit about that last week, but uh, I don't think that the, Spirit, uh, the gifts of the Spirit have stopped. Uh, I, I do believe that when Jesus was speaking to the disciples and saying, you're going to do even greater things, he included those who would follow him and who would be filled with the Spirit. Those, those, that would be us. That would be all who would come after those disciples. Uh, if we would say that the gift stopped, then we could also, you would almost have to group it in. And I know this is, this is a little um, 
maybe a little flagrant on theology, but uh, you, would, you would almost say, well, then the Great Commission stops because the disciples are no longer here and that's who he gave it to. Well, that doesn't make, us, make much sense to us. And so the gifts of the Spirit are being used to fulfill the Great Commission of going out and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to obey everything that I have given you. So that's kind of where we left off last week of the gifts of the Spirit kind of filling us. And, and hopefully you did. I had a couple people come up to me this week and say, hey, we, I took that spiritual gifts test and it confirmed what I already knew, but it also told me that, um, that I'm not really using my gifts to their full uh, degree, which I think is great to know. And so how do we begin to use those gifts as the body of Christ for the edification? And that's the key. Those gifts are used for the edification of the body and for the glorification of Jesus. So um, whatever that gift might be, that is what it's for. So um, I want to ask a question, just get some dialogue today going, if we can. First of all, how can I experience the full power of the Spirit? How would you answer that? How can you experience the full power of the Spirit? Yeah, pray, ask, right? Yeah. And I wonder how many of us, and you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of us have in our prayer time said, Holy Spirit, fill me more today. Give me more of you today. I need more of whatever it is you're willing to dole out in my life today so that you can do the work in me that I can't do on my own. Um, and again, I think it goes back to some of the things that we talked about. We, we oftentimes have a fear of that. Well, if I ask that, what does that mean? <laughs> What's the Holy Spirit going to do? I mean, am I going to... You know, am I going to fall over? Am I going to am I going to start jumping pews on Sunday mornings? Whoa, what's it? People are going to look at me crazy. What's going to happen if the Holy Spirit fills me? Um, and, I, and the thing that I think I can say with confidence is when the Holy Spirit fills us, it's not this um, this uncontrollable thing. At, I mean, I think maybe there are at times, but I think that that we can do it, that we can be filled with the Holy Spirit using the gifts of the Holy Spirit in a very orderly fashion, not having to, to, for instance, see what you see on TBN or whatever it might be. Um, so there's a, a filling that I think is an orderly filling. And I think you're right on, Craig. I, anything else that you might say, how, do we, how are we to experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit in our life? How can I experience that? Any other additions to praying and asking? That's a good question. Um, there's a yes and no in that, I think. A yes in that I think we can experience to the fullness that our human bodies can experience, if that makes sense. Like that, most likely the Holy Spirit has uh, in your life and in my life and our life, we're probably just tapping the surface, maybe scratching it a little bit, yeah. um, scratching what the Holy Spirit can do in our lives. And so I do think there's a sense where there's a fullness that we've not yet encountered. Uh, and I think you know that. I think you can meet somebody and go, "Ooh, hey, Holy Spirit is moving right there. Like you can, wow. And it, it looks different for different people, but there's this obviousness of uh, walking in the Spirit, moving in the Spirit, acting in the Spirit, speaking, you know, in such a way that it's like, you, you know, you listen to somebody and you go, wow, that's like straight up a word from God. I don't, you know, that's God speaking through them. But to the fullest, so the no part of that would be, um, I don't think we fully experience it till we get our new body. Um, so uh, there's something to look forward there to. Uh, but oftentimes I do, again, I don't want to go so far as to say we shouldn't ask for it or pray for it because that's a later, that's an that's a afterlife thing, that's a, that's a heavenly thing. 
there is a sense of we can ask for more of it now. That's what that's what Jesus told his disciples to do. Get pray for more of it. And and he would say, you know, for instance, when he, when they went out to to heal and they came back, you remember when they went out and they came back and said, we tried to, well, there's two instances. One, we went out and even the demons listened to us. You know, you remember that experience? Uh, yeah, of course they are. And that's when Jesus says, you're going to do even greater things than you've seen me do. But then there's also that instance where the disciples came back and said, we prayed over this and it, it didn't listen. It didn't work. <laughs> you know, nothing, nothing happened. And Jesus said, this only comes out by much prayer and fasting. I think that prayer is linked into that filling of the Holy Spirit, being filled by the one who is able to cast out the demon, to heal the sick, to you name it. Uh, make sense? Does that answer the question? So, um, so flipping a little bit, going a little bit, uh, a little bit more on that question, what does it look like for you in your personal life to be filled with the Holy Spirit? We know how to get, I mean, Craig just mentioned it. We ask, we pray, we ask God to fill us. So do we walk in on Sunday mornings for worship, ready to see the Holy Spirit move in our midst? Because today, by the way, the topic is the Holy Spirit moving in worship and liturgy, which is a funny thing. Uh, I mean, to be honest with you, coming from a uh, more of a Bapticostal background when I grew up, you know, and then going into the Episcopal Church, my first thought in the Episcopal Church when I experienced liturgy, and, and I'm just pure honesty here, I thought, well, where, how, how's he working in here? Like, we just followed a liturgy, and we said all, we said all these prayers. We, you know, we we did the hymn, all four verses. We didn't even veer at all from these things. Like, where's the Holy Spirit working in our worship and liturgy? Now we'll come back to that in a minute because I do believe the Holy Spirit is working in our worship and liturgy. But um, what does it look like for you personally? And this is where you may not want to answer, but if you're willing to be a little vulnerable, what does it look like for the Holy Spirit working in your life personally? I think for my own life, it, the Holy Spirit works in uh, convicting me of my sin, my need for repentance. Um, even is so interesting. There's been so many instances uh, where I... I try to I try to prayer walk somewhere in in Birmingham once a week or so, and maybe bring somebody along with me. And it's, it's always interesting when I'm prayer walking and I pass by somebody that I don't stop and talk to in that prayer walk. And there have been many instances where if I get in the car to leave, I hear you. You feel this kind of mm-mm. I put them right there. You, that's who you're supposed to talk to. Go back, talk to that person, and I'm like. I don't, I, I don't want to talk to that person. I don't know who that is. I, I got somewhere to be. But then it, it just doesn't leave you alone, right? That Holy Spirit moving in you, you're like, okay, I'll go talk to that person, you know? And, um, and, and oftentimes what happens in that instance is it's a God moment where, um, you know, maybe they, maybe they didn't come to faith. Maybe they were already a Christian and just needed somebody. I'll give you a, a, a real practical one. I was praying down uh, an apartment area down near Hattie B's, we were doing, we were just kind of circling that area, and I was with somebody who goes here to the Advent that I won't mention, but she was with me, and we were praying, and we saw this person outside of Hattie B's, and and uh, that it was one of the cooks outside, and he was taking his break out in the back, and I said, let's, I think we should talk to this person, and uh, this was her first time to prayer walk, and so it was really funny. She's like, uh, what are we gonna do? And I was like, well. 
let's go see. Uh, so we walk up to this cook and we began to have a discussion. I said, hey, we're prayer walking, which may sound funny to you, but we're just praying for the area. Is there anything we can pray for you? And I was astounded by this guy who said, well, I think we need to pray for everybody around here. And I said, great. Do you have anybody specifically that we can start with? He said, well, you can pray for me. Uh, I'm a believer. I love Jesus. Uh, but pray for my family and pray that I would be able to be an influence to those who I work with in this restaurant. I was like, absolutely. You know, that was one of those Holy Spirit moments where I felt like, let's just go pray for this guy. And he and the really cool thing was we started praying and he jumped right in with us and started praying with us. And you could tell that he he was a believer. He knew Jesus and just from his from his prayers. And so um, being filled with the Holy Spirit, I think, is being attuned to the Holy Spirit. So we're saying, all right, Lord, you know, you've, you've heard that prayer. Guide my steps today before I take them kind of kind of thing. Get out of bed. Show me where to go, what to, what to do, how to do it today. I think there is a sense of once we've said, okay, Holy Spirit, move in my life, fill me today, you show me what my steps need to be. And then where we have to lose control, as Carolyn just said, is we have to get out of the way when he says, go do that. Oh, I don't want to do that. Well, that's what I want you to do. So uh, obeying and listening to the Holy Spirit. Um, what do you think when you hear the mention of the Holy Spirit in the context of worship in church? What are your first thoughts when you worship in the Holy Spirit? Yeah, good, good. Anything else when you think about worship and the Holy Spirit? You can put it in our context. I mean, when you come to worship at the Advent, what do you think? Where do you think? Do you think the Holy Spirit's moving in that worship time? Hope so. Hope so. Yeah, absolutely. I sometimes hear the truth. Yeah. Oh, that's huge. Yeah. Um, yeah. Chad, on our men's retreat, and I'll probably butcher what he said, but, but to the extent he said, when the, when the pastor preaches and it feels like he's speaking directly to you, it's oftentimes, and I, I think he said these words, if not, I'll go so far as to say them, that it is the Holy Spirit working through that pastor in a place that maybe you are not willing to work your own. Because so often we come to a place and go, I can't see my own sin. Or I've desensitized myself so much that I need to hear somebody else say, hey, you need to repent. And, and it's that Holy Spirit movement in us that says, gosh, I didn't even realize that. That happened to me this weekend uh, on, on the men's retreat. There was a place in my own life that I was like, Wow, that one's not. I haven't. I haven't resolved that. Um, a little angry or frustrated at somebody, and so I needed to repent of it. And um, so that was that was Chad's words. I heard those words this weekend in my own life. I think he may have. Yeah, yeah. Offended, certainly convicted. Um, that 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 offensiveness is actually the Holy Spirit beginning to move in you to strip you down of our own self, um, and and you know pull the plug if you will so that all of us drains out so that the Holy Spirit can fill us up, and I think that's what happens in our worship time. And I think we do. I will say this: we have to work a little harder in a liturgical setting sometimes to really 
feel, if you will, and, uh, and the Holy Spirit is not just a feeling, so I don't want to portray it as that. But I do think there is a sense of feeling of the Holy Spirit that happens in our worship time that sometimes we have to work a little harder to, to, to experience because we do say a lot of the same things every Sunday. And so human nature is when you hear it or say it over and over, our tendency is to go, I've heard that before. It's not doing anything. And where I find that the Holy Spirit really begins to move in power in our particular setting of worship is, yes, through the preaching and teaching, through the songs, but even in the liturgy when we begin to internalize the very things that we're saying and letting the Holy Spirit move and work in those prayers, in that communion liturgy, in uh, even the, the passing of the peace. I think that's one of the, that's one of the most critical pieces of our worship where the Holy Spirit can really do some moving because has it ever happened to you when you're sitting in worship and you you feel this Holy Spirit movement in your life and then go, who is it that I need to talk to today that's sitting right behind me that needs to see and experience the love of Jesus and I don't know anything about them, maybe I've never met them before or maybe I know everything about them, but they need to hear it today. That's where I think we really can experience freedom uh, scripture tells us that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So the freedom to be able to say, um, I, God's telling me to speak to that person. God's telling me to pray for that person. But there's also a freedom, I think, and this is where we really struggle um, in, in our particular context, is that when the freedom of the Holy Spirit begins to move in us, oftentimes we feel, and I'm, I'm using the 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 we here, because I'm, I'm, I'm grouping me in here too, that if I feel, and I'll just use it for instance, if I feel like I want to raise my hands during a hymn or a song, I can't do that because it's not in the liturgy. Or, because somebody might look at me funny and think, what's gotten into them? And I think that is um, really a I mean, that hurts my heart to think about that because I think there, again, we don't have to go, we don't have to get on the crazy train and go, woo, you know, all crazy. But I think there is a moving of the Holy Spirit that we don't want to squelch that. And so to encourage that, uh, there's a particular lady here that's said a couple times, I feel bad sometimes when I raise my hands in worship. And she told me last week, she said, but then somebody came up to me after church and said, I love watching you worship. And she said, at that point, I, re- I felt, now I can do it. Now I can just raise my hands up, and I don't have to feel like somebody's watching me or somebody's uh, judging me. Um, I think there's a, there's a good mix there, right, of how the Holy Spirit moves, but then at the same time working within the context of our liturgical setting. And so um, the, the, a little bit about the kind of just covering some bases here, and then I want to spend some time just praying for one another today. Because I think it's important when we talk about the Holy Spirit to actually pray and ask the Holy Spirit to come. Uh, so we'll, we want to do that today as well. But just a little bit about the charismatic movement and then kind of how we got to where we are when it comes to church and liturgy and worship. So the 12th through the 16th century, there was a real deep period of spiritual hunger. I know I'm putting some big gaps there, by the way. So we got first century church. The, it, the church started kind of working and moving and, and then some various things started being put in place that uh, were, 
were man-made and not God-made. And then we get to the 12th through the 16th century, there was this deep period of hunger, spiritual hunger for God's Word and for the moving of the Holy Spirit to work. And in the 16th century, the Reformation broke out. And it was led primarily, primarily through the laity. Now, we all know about Martin Luther and, and the 95 Theses, and that kind of moved some things along. But the laity were, real, were the real backbone behind the moving of the charismatic movement or the Reformation. And I grouped those together because the Reformation brought about some freedom that were not there. When they started getting away from the things that the church had established that were not biblical, for instance, indulgences, paying for your, your uncle Joey over here who did some really bad things and he died, but we're going to pay for him because we're going we're to spring him out of purgatory or something. So they would pay the, these indulgences, these cult of saints. That was, it's often referred to as, you know, we really uh, overemphasize the praying to saints and praying for saints as though they, um, you know, they, they weren't in their resting place. They were in this purgatory type thing. Uh, relics. You got other things that, that kept believers from really experiencing the movement of the Holy Spirit and the Scripture coming to life. And for many, it was defined as worship abuse during that time. You're, you're limiting us. You're telling us we have to do these things in order to be, quote-unquote, good Christians. And if you fast forward then to the 1950s and 60s, so you got the Reformation kind of pushing against all of those things to get rid of those things, to get us back to what is in Scripture. You got uh, something called the regulative principle that came out of that where if it's not in Scripture, we shouldn't be doing it. So how do we worship? Well, we look at Scripture and we see what worship took place in Scripture, what instruments were used in Scripture, all those things. And if it's not in there, then we can't use it. Um, and then that kind of movement shifted a bit in the 1950s and 60s to where we kind of got this charismatic movement beginning. The charismatic movement was an intentional trend of historical mainstream Christian congregations adopting the practices of Pentecostalism. And so they were saying, the Holy Spirit's moving, we get the, the, the Reformation, we've gotten, you know, we know we're, we're kind of where we come from, that has, that to many, that stifled. And so what is often the case in the church is you've got one end of the, of the spectrum here where we, we got no movement of the Holy Spirit because we're so set on this ritualistic way. Somebody gets a little agitated and frustrated, so what do they do? So all the way to the other side. We just go crazy on the other side. Let's throw it all out and do whatever we want to do, however we want to do it. And so that charismatic movement was, in essence, a lot of that, where they swung the pendulum all the way and said, you know, let's just, that's where the, the Benny Hens popped up. That's where the TBN, famous preachers, popped up. You know, all these things where uh, uh, the, the, the uh, call in, send in money, you're surely going to be blessed. If you were at the 9 o'clock service in the refectory, Tucker talked about that, this health, wealth, and prosperity gospel coming out. Of send money and surely God will bless you and your family. Uh, you'll get more material things, all these things. And these pastors begin to be extremely wealthy because they had convinced people uh, that, and you notice some similarities there. So you got, we're not going to pay for indulgences, but we're going to pay for blessings over here. And so we kind of, history began to repeat itself a bit, and pastors profited from that, becoming extremely wealthy, making guarantees that if financial things were done and if you sent so much money, 
then surely God would bless your family. And so now, after the 60s and 70s, you kind of have this movement then back kind of to the center where we begin to say, okay, how do we experience the, the charismatic movement and some of the good that happened there and the Reformation and the very good that happened there? And I think if you, find, if you, if you see, you begin to put the two of the best together from a biblical perspective, you begin to see a full and authentic worship taking place in the church. Um, and so the common practice of Scripture, when it came to worship, I want to go to Acts chapter 2 and look at what Peter actually says when the Holy Spirit came down and gave the disciples their... You remember last week we talked about the heavenly language. Peter preached the gospel to those who would listen, and they asked this very question, What do we need to do? You, we've heard you. We don't really know what all you've said. We've heard it some in our own language. We've heard this, this heavenly language that we're, we're not real sure what's going on, but we know that something's happening. Peter has said, we're not drunk at 9 o'clock in the morning. This is the Holy Spirit of God moving. You need to hear about the gospel. They hear it. It pierces them to the heart. And in chapter 2, verse 38, it says, And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. One of the things that I want to pick up on there is being filled with the Holy Spirit in worship, and I think that our liturgy does it great, is that we have a time of repentance each and every week because repentance I truly believe repentance is what brings about the filling of the Holy Spirit we cannot experience the fullness of what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our life when unrepentant sin is present because it we're, we're clogging up the pipes the Holy Spirit can't get in because we're hanging on to something and so what is it then and and I think that's a good reflective statement for all of us I know it is for me to go is there something that I have unrepentant that's keeping me from experiencing the Holy Spirit so that it then flows out into my worship experience? So on Sunday morning, uh, it's not like going to a funeral. It's really like going to worship a God who's alive. I mean, that's, that's a personal reflection for you. And I'm happy to help you work through that and talk through some of that. But I do believe that there's a promise here that Peter gives. He says, repent, first of all, be baptized. That's, the, that's the, the outward expression of the repentance that's taken place in our heart. And he says this, not you might, but you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's there. It's present in our repenting. It's present in our baptizing. And so... Um, oftentimes we don't experience because, like Craig said earlier, we don't ask for it. We haven't asked for God to fill us. And so then the result of that in verse 42, if you keep going on, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together together. 
and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions, belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread together in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number. So a couple things that I think we can draw from here about what happens when we repent and are baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. One is we begin to devote ourselves to God's teaching and the fellowship of the people of God. And it says here, notice, there's two types of fellowship taking place. There's one in the context of they entered the the synagogue or the temple, they worshiped together, but they also broke bread together in the homes. So it wasn't just a Sunday morning, hey, let's gather together, let's hope the Holy Spirit shows up, let's let the Holy Spirit be manifested in our worship time, but it, it, it literally bled out into everything they did. And so that worship, when we talk about worship and liturgy, worship through the power of the Holy Spirit is not contained to just Sunday. It's seen in our entire life. Our worship, it's, it transforms the way that we think about our daily walk, about our, our day-to-day activities, because we're filled with the Holy Spirit. And when that happens, it says, and all who believe were together and they had all things in common. Have you ever walked into a room where you know that you're in the room with a, a bunch of folks that, man, the Holy Spirit's moving, they are believers, they are ready, and you've come, and there's no agenda, but you begin to worship and pray? Man, it's a great feeling because you, you know that you might have disagreements about this or that or whatever it might be, but you come in and you know that, hey, we're here for one reason and one reason alone. We're here to worship the Lord together. And we're here to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to walk along one another, walk alongside one another, to have all things in common, and to um, to really be looking out and attentive to one another, breaking bread in their homes, receiving food with glad and generous hearts, and then the last thing I think you see, praising God and having favor with all people. Think about what that is. The filling of the of the Holy Spirit is. The result is we praise God because the Spirit's filling us. And then there's an attraction by those who are not filled with the Holy Spirit. So much so that the favor is, I want to know what they know. I want to experience what they have because the Spirit seems to be moving. And they don't even know what it's called. They don't know it's the Holy Spirit. They may not know that it's Jesus. But they see and they experience something and say, I have faith. Somehow, I want to know what you know. I want to walk alongside you. I want to experience what you've experienced. That's the moving of the Holy Spirit. That is my prayer when we come to worship here on Sunday, is that we would walk out of this place, or if somebody were to walk into this place, that they would go, whatever these people have, I don't know what it is, but I want it. I want to experience it. I want to know it. I want to, I want to feel it. I want all the things that they have. But, Peter's very clear to say, as he's writing, or uh, John's very clear to say, um, that as we go out of this place, the same thing were to happen. Go to the restaurant, go to lunch today, go meet with some folks next week, you go to work, you go wherever it might be. Everybody, it says, praising God and having favor with all the people. Everybody looked at him and said, we want, to, we want to know what you know. And then to show that there was favor with all people, and the Lord added to their number 
day by day those who were being saved. So just so you know, they had favor. People were coming and saying, we want that. Oh, that we would be a people that the Holy Spirit is so manifested in us that people would say, I want what you have. I want to be saved like you're saved. I want to know it. Um, this is one of the people ask me all the time when I preach. How You, you get really excited when you preach. I'm excited because I want people to know. I mean, I don't see any... How do I not get excited about the fact that He's filled, the Holy Spirit's filled me and I want you to experience it. I want you to know what I know. And I don't have it all together and I mess up all the time. But man, I'm, I'm praising God and I'm saying, come alongside me and you can enter into my mess just like I am. And we'll be messy together. Um, I get excited about those things. And so, um, one quick thing, uh, and then we can have a little... Actually, daggum, I talked too long. Uh, uh, I was going to do one more thing, but before, uh, we'll pick it up next week. I want to look at Cornelius next week and, uh, and his household and what took place in the household of Cornelius in Acts. Uh, but I want to take just a minute. we got about five minutes, and this may not be long enough. If Holy Spirit works longer, then we'll go with that. But I want to take just a moment and open it up, and I want, I want us to pray. Uh, you feel led to pray for somebody. You feel, feel led to lay a hand on somebody. feel led to just pray silently, whatever it might be. I want to give us about five minutes just to say, uh, to put into practice these things that we just talked about. Holy Spirit, fill me. Get me out of the way. Help me to repent of the things I need to repent of so that you can fill me and so that I can, can be the thing that, that Peter says and promises that you will be a witness to all the people when the Holy Spirit's working. So let's just open it up. Pray as the Lord might lead you. I'll start us. If you feel led, you pray. If not, you just sit quietly and ask the Lord. Lord, I pray that you take away any fear, any anxiety, any nervousness, anything that we might say I'm not real sure about when it comes to the Holy Spirit, and trust you right now. God, that we would trust that you will be gentle in dealing with us as you pour your Holy Spirit into us and that you're not going to give us more than we can handle. So God, would you pour out your Spirit right now? Would you fill us today with the gifts of the Spirit that you so desire for us to use? Pray as God might lead you this morning. God, fill each of our lives right now. Would you fill us? Would you make us empty vessels for you? And Lord, for those, again, who, who maybe feel a little anxious or nervous about asking you to come, would you, um, as silly as it might sound, would you treat us like an, like an onion and just peel back one layer at a time as you begin to move and deal gr- gently with us? And Lord, we pray that, as, as Peter just said, that we would, in fact, be filled with the Holy Spirit so much that um, all people would be drawn to you because of the work you're doing in us. And it wouldn't be about us, that we wouldn't get any of the glory, God, but it would be all about you, and you get the glory through anything that you're doing. Would you humble us? Would you work in us? We pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. 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 
You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. 